You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I'm a coach working in schools with leaders and teachers to help them to improve their own well-being and the well-being of all the staff in the school. Today on the show I have an amazing interview with Johnny Utley. I'm so privileged that he decided to come on the show. I'm not going to say much in my introduction today as it is quite a long interview but I promise you it will be worth every minute that you invest in it. John is the CEO of the Education Alliance and the co-author of the book Putting Teachers First, which is a seminal book that provides a blueprint for creating a culture of well-being in your school. I would highly recommend you read it. I'm so delighted that he agreed to talk to us on the show about how we can put staff first in our schools. Enjoy the interview. Johnny Utley, welcome to the show. It's a real privilege to have you with us. Um, when I read your book, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't actually imagine that I'd be making a podcast, never mind interviewing the author of the book that I was reading. So this is a real honour for me. So welcome to the show. Thank you. It's lovely to be invited. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and mm. what you've done and what you do now? Yeah, um... Well, I'm, I'll, I'll start at the end and work the way back. I'm, I'm CEO of um, the Education Alliance Multi Academy Trust. So we're a group of six schools, four secondaries, two primaries in East Yorkshire and Hull. Um, we're also a, a teaching school, an associate research school, and a skit. Um, and the skit is really, really important to us. Um, I've been, I qualified as a teacher in 1998, so just over, over 20 years. Um, I have to say that because I made, I made a mistake at one of our schools when they were joining um, and I went to talk to staff quite late on in the process and I mentioned that I was a history teacher and somebody came up to me afterwards and they said, oh, if only we'd realised that you were a teacher, we wouldn't have been so worried about joining a, joining a mat and it had never crossed my mind that somebody might think that the CEO wasn't a teacher. So it's actually quite important to say that. So I, I do still uh, consider myself a teacher of history and politics, even though it's two years since I um, I was inflicted on any 6-1 groups to teach. Um, I did uh, five years in Cambridgeshire as a history teacher there, then I moved up to York, um, worked at Huntington School um, as a head of year, then head of politics, and then director of 6-1, and that's where my uh, connection with John Thompson, who's my co-author, came. He was, he was my boss, he was the head there. Um, and that's kind of where the, the book began, I guess, because... Um, he came in um, as head teacher. He'd been deputy head um, before I was there and left for his first headship and come back as a second headship. Um, and we were very much in the process of, of changing the culture. It's the first time I became aware of school culture as a thing. Um, and it was very much about changing the culture. So I, I worked with him for about four years as part of his SLT. Um, and then I went off to be a deputy head at South Lundsey School in the East Riding. Um, and that was just at the point where um, academies and, and trusts were beginning. Um, so for me, it was kind of a lot of it was good fortune, right place, right time. Um, I at the time, it's interesting because I've done a whole lot of things that politically I didn't agree with. So I didn't really agree with academies, but I, I joined one, didn't really agree with Matt's at the beginning, helped form one didn't believe in free schools. We set the only free school in the riding up. Um, <laughs> ended up doing a load of things that there's I've a, never... There's a of... pattern emerging here, Johnny. Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, anything I oppose, I end up doing. It's a bit scary. Um, so I became head at Hunsley, um, working with, as we were becoming a MAC. Um, it's a big secondary school, over 2,000 students, um, you know, quite high performing, just outside Hull. Um, and then when the, the, the CEO, who'd been my boss, um, was moving towards retirement in 2018. Um, I got the job as CEO, um, and now this is where I've been for for kind of two and a half years. And um, again, like everybody else, didn't quite realise that what a third of my time as CEO would be in a global pandemic and counting. So 
it's yeah. been uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> and counting. That's me. Yeah, and I'm also the other thing I'm, I have to say is I'm a I'm a Lancastrian who lives in Yorkshire, which is always uh, always good fun. Yeah, you're a big you're a big United fan, aren't you? I am. I yeah, am. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, we're we're a we're a Man United household. Oh, so. good, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> with you on that one. Not too sure about uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the no, moment. It's not not great at the moment, is it? But. From hero to to zero, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's a difficult one, isn't it? Because he's such a hero at Manchester United. Yeah. For him to be sacked, just it's unthinkable, doesn't it? Yeah. Would be, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm alienating listeners now who don't like football. <laughs> so, um, one of the things I, I think is really important and that has come out of a lot of the work that I'm doing in terms of well being, and that you in your book, um, you have a really clear focus on this, and it's it's continuing professional development for staff right from initial teacher training. And I can identify with your experience of I trained in 1997 at Manchester Met. Mm. I started teaching in 1998 and when I look back I think I don't really know what I learned on my teaching course on my PGC and on the teaching practice I certainly didn't learn like you're saying anything about the process of learning or how children learn in English and how they make progress and all of those things um, so I've, I've really had an interest in how we can support learning most effectively and, and how we do that through CPD what's what's your take on the importance of using cpd to to keep teachers in the profession i, I just think it's absolutely crucial i think i've, I've gone as you say from kind of not knowing what cpd was you know yeah. training but not really being trained to do the job that i was doing and again as we say in the book i'm not being critical of anybody that was doing the training you know they were brilliant people um but that kind of first four or five years of my career there was no sense at all of of kind of domain specific training then i started to come to understand cpd in the way that a lot of people did sort of early early noughties that, that it was important and it was a thing that we did and you could get some good ideas um and it's only you know really latterly that i've i've understood that it's not a it's not a thing that you do when there's a bit of time left or a thing that you do because it's a thing that schools do but it's absolutely just fundamental to um to the success of the organization but also to um to that sense of purpose um of teachers you know it's the old thing nobody i've never ever met a teacher who's come in and said i want to do a bad job um or i want to be a poor teacher or i want to struggle um you know the will is there um and what we've done um, and again, you know, John did it a few years ago at his school, lots of places doing it now, is we stripped performance management right back and said, look, everybody who works in our organisation has a single professional commitment, including me, which is to get better at your job. And it's the old Bill and William thing, not because people aren't good enough, but because we can all always get better. Um, and then it becomes, you know, by putting that, by stripping away a lot of the hoop jump in, a lot of the nonsense that we've had, a lot of the done to approach, you can say to people, right, we've taken all that away, but you absolutely have to commit. And now by having really good structures around you, really good processes, helping people to connect with evidence, helping to link them into to networks of people who are doing the same thing, helping th them through that process of saying, right, let's identify the specific area you want to get better at. How might you do that? then get on and do it then evaluate it um and i think you know i can remember doing performance management first you know when i was the the um appraisee and then as the appraiser as well where you kind of go through the whole performance management process and then at the end you go oh are there any training needs <laughs> it was like the very you know the very last thing are there any training needs there's some courses we can send you on um and actually you know fundamentally changing that and just having an ongoing conversation all the time with people about okay you know how's it going what is the area that you're working on and how are you working on it and then supporting people to do that um and i think you know now it's so refreshing with you know the eef with um the the research school network you know a lot of the universities like hallam and places like that who are doing absolutely fantastic work there's no excuse now for people not to be connected to um 
to evidence and to good research. It's not an onerous thing to do. You know, the EEF and the Research School Network have done a phenomenal job in making that accessible. Um, so it, it, it ought to be really high quality and there's no reason why any school now shouldn't have it at the heart of what they do. And the, 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 the research shows that the most impact, the most impactful thing for pupils to learn more effectively is to have great teachers in the classroom, mm. isn't it? Mm. Um, I think for me, CPD has gone through a cycle. So it used to be you could go out for a day's course. I remember going out with like, mm. like whiteboard training and I'd go and go, woohoo, this is brilliant. I'd love to do all these things and then get back in school, get back on the hamster wheel and never mm. do any of the things. Mm. Six months later, think, oh, yeah, that was a great course that I went on. And then we went through a cycle of there wasn't any money so we couldn't send people out to courses so everything mm. became in-house and we were expecting people who weren't necessarily well trained themselves to be training mm. other people and now we seem to have moved on to a very much more personalized cpd so it's individualized for each member of staff mm. how does that work in your um, trust in terms of making sure that cpd is personalized to individuals because that's quite it's a quite a big um, it's quite a big ask, isn't it, to do mm -hmm. something that's specifically mm -hmm. personalised rather than everybody go in the hall and sit there and listen mm -hmm. to somebody presenting mm -hmm. on Kagan structures or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, so how do you manage that and how do you ensure that each person gets to access what they mm -hmm. need to access in terms of their own personal development? Um, it's a really good question. For us, it's about having the the structure and the process of using the inquiry question approach. You know, we, I'll say it quite happily, we, we essentially nicked it off Huntington. They were kind of three <laughs> years ahead of us on this. Um, and learning from the, you know, from, from what they learned. And it's, I think one of the, there's kind of two or three real keys to it. One is, one is about pace um, and actually to go quite slowly. Um, I think there's a real danger, you know, I've talked to lots of people now, um, who say we're really interested in talking about how we change our CPD. And I think, you know, it's like curriculum development, do it over four years, don't try and do it over a year. So go slowly, introduce people to the principles of, of effective use of evidence, make sure there's proper protected time. Um, so Huntington have had, well, since I was there, one of the last things I did before I left was um, the two hour um, sessions on a Monday afternoon every fortnight so they've got really um, they've got really good time in there we don't have that approach at the moment but we do have um, clearly designated um, CPD time we've got rid of loads of stuff around you know those those awful kind of meetings where it's just all about you know what's on the calendar and what's coming up and and all that that everything every time that a group of people meet in our trust um, when they're not teaching, it should be developmental. Um, so protecting that time. Um, and then having, if you use the inquiry question approach, it's a, it's a single area that they're working on. It's really clearly defined. They're supported by experts in developing that, that question and that inquiry. Um, they're supported and given the structure so that there's the opportunities during the course of the year um, to, to look at how it's going into feedback and they've got a really strong framework for evaluating whether it's successful or not. And one of the really powerful bits of it is, again, you'll, you'll hear me slagging off performance management all the way through this because it's like, we did, um, we did a trust, a trust training, uh, sorry, a trust planning weekend about two years ago. Um, and we were talking about, you know, just sweeping out all of the nonsense that we do in schools that is pointless. Um, and I gave out um, post-it notes to my heads and my trust team. And I'm like, just write, you know, do a room 101, write down on this post-it note anything you can think of that we do in schools that you want to propose that we stop doing because it's rubbish. Um, there's a lot of post-it notes, but mine was performance management in its conventional sense because um, that was about, um, you know, it was always three targets, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And it was always... Why three? <laughs> Yeah, why three? Exactly. So it was always the whole school target, the departmental target, and then the third one was what shall I do? You know, yeah. how many times? What should I do for my third one? Um, or even once when somebody, and I think it's probably the moment I realised when they said, can I do something developmental for my third? And it's like, well, what are one and two if, if they're not? Um, 
but what what that system and that process does is it encourages people to set low targets it encourages people to set goals that they know they're going to achieve because they know that next october they're starting a meeting and they have to show that they've achieved three targets because if you fail some of your targets if it's then linked to pay you then don't get a pay rise <laughs> yeah um, and I think what's so powerful about the approach that, that we're using and lots of schools are using now is that it's okay for it to fail. It's okay at the end of the process to go, do you know what? That was rubbish. And my control group actually did better than the group I was working with, but I know why. Um, and I can explain why. And therefore I'm not going to use that approach. I'm going to now move on to something else. And too much CPD and too much performance management in the past has been about, you know, if you like to say, if you, you know, you went on the day course and you came back with you, I can remember and I still, you know, just writing oodles of notes and coming back on the train and being really excited. And then by the time I woke up the next morning and I'm teaching five lessons, it's all gone. Yeah. Um, and similarly with, you know, performance management in the past, it was set the three targets. And then, you know, I can remember years when it was the week before, I had the end of cycle meeting and I was like, where the hell's my PM? What did I set? You know, let's hope I've hit it. Um, yeah. And so it's, a, it's about a cultural shift to say it's about development and you commit to developing and, you know, you don't do it in a kind of, you know, a, a, a loose sort of way. You do it in a really, really rigorous um, planned way where you are, you become an expert. Um, but at the end of it, it's being able to evaluate the outcome and if something has worked and has had an impact and an effect why has it and what can you take from that and if it hasn't why hasn't it and both of those are okay whereas in the past it was you had to hit your target because if you didn't hit your target you didn't get a pay rise yeah i think that it's the idea of of teachers having some investment in it as well isn't it because mm -hmm. performance management they wouldn't I, I didn't know any member of staff really who was in totally invested in it it was just oh. or it still is it's just one of those things that you have to do that takes up hours of people's time in october yeah. and then isn't really thought about until you have your one observation and then again yeah. isn't thought about until the end of the year whereas the way that you do it it's an ongoing process that's linked specifically to something that an individual teacher wants to explore mm -hmm. and develop in their practice which i think mm -hmm. is what makes that much yeah. more effective mm -hmm. And it's about, like I say, it's about that, that ongoing thing. I mean, I'll give you, give you um, an example. It's one I nearly used in the book, but I didn't in the end. But we'd have um, a teacher who'd moved from one, she's a, a Spanish teacher, moved from one school to another in the trust. So she'd been in, the, in her new school for a year. And she was just, was and is exceptional. Um, you know, great teacher, brilliant form tutor. You talk to kids about her, they said she's amazing. You know, she's so supportive. The lessons are fantastic. You looked at the work they were producing, you looked at the results they're getting. On every level, she was she was fabulous. Um, she'd had a bad experience in her previous schools of, of you know, one-off lesson observations and was one of those people who was really nervous when somebody came in to do the observation. And I was talking to her head of her head of department, I was just I was doing that annoying head teacher thing, you know, on parents' evening when you've 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 got a little break and then you see the head walking towards you and you're like, oh God, they're going to sit with me and make small talk. So I'm a shocker for that, you know, sit down and have a chat. <laughs> I was talking to the head of the department and she said, oh, um, you know, this member of staff, they were they're, they're really, really nervous about their, um, about their observation. And I just, I said, I'm like, why are we even, why, this is kind of three, four years ago, why are we doing it? Because we know she's brilliant. We know that she's developing. We know that she's getting better all the time. And all we're doing is putting her through a really stressful situation you know and i have no doubt at all that she did that thing that we've all done where she wrote a lesson up and planned it and then left it for a couple of nights and came back and ripped it up and when that's not good enough <laughs> probably spent seven eight hours yeah on developing a performance <laughs> management lesson um and at the end of it we, we we didn't know anything that we didn't already know which is she's brilliant <laughs> yeah it sounds um, it sounds so familiar i would be i would sit for hours being stuck oh, like i could teach good lessons day in day out and as soon as yeah. i was being observed it was like the yeah. <laughs> it's like mental block i couldn't mm. i couldn't mm. think about anything but i always think you don't fatten a pig by weighing it yeah exactly yeah exactly that 
Yeah. And, and and I just think it's absolutely pointless observing people who you know, who like all the other evidence that you've got tells you that they're great teachers. You need yeah. to spend your time working with the teachers who need more more help yeah. and more support to get better, don't you? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you've been, I know, because we were talking before, you've got a, a really interesting coaching, but if you take away that that fear and you take away that sense of I'm going to be judged now, it allows colleagues then to move into much more of a coaching relationship so even if they're you know the most exceptional teacher in the school if you've got the culture right they'll still enter into that kind of coaching conversation about how do i get better but the old way of doing it was a massive barrier to that um and you know there's still too many schools where saying to somebody you know i'm finding this difficult or i'm struggling on this or i'm not very good at this bit you wouldn't dare say it <laughs> because for fear of, of being judged. Whereas if we can get to cultures where people say, well, actually, I know I'm great at this bit and I'm strong at this bit, but this is what I'm finding difficult. I want a conversation about that. That's how a, you know, that's how a school ultimately flies. Because as you said, you know, going back to what you said earlier, we know that 80% of the success of a young person is the quality of the person in front of them and the ability of the person in front of them. So we've got to, to do everything we can just to yeah. focus on that. It's interesting that, that you that you mentioned staff saying, you know, I struggle with this and I struggle with that, because one of the things that you say in the book, and I was going to ask you, uh, one of the questions that I was thinking about is the two issues that people state as being reasons why they want to leave the profession, a workload and behaviour. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you say or that you said in the book is that in terms of behaviour, people are less likely to want to say, I'm really struggling with that class. They want they want to feel like they're, they're in control of all their classes and it's almost like you know acknowledging a weakness in terms of behavior is something that you should that you might be ashamed of so you you talk about don't you like behavior being a, a huge factor for people in terms of keeping them in the profession so how do we begin to tackle that as leaders i know it's that's a huge it's like massive yeah. question but a starting again, point I'm, for people. I'm, I'm going to be boring and say, say it's culture again. It was really interesting doing this chapter because when John and I were kind of, it took us a while to kind of get to a point where we said, is there anything worth saying? And that kind of blueprint idea was was what convinced us to do it. So we talked about the sort of key ingredients and, and behaviour was one. So when we were going through who's writing what chapter, you know, and I was like, well, you know, the workload one, I'm really happy doing that one. The early career one, I'm happy doing that one. You know, the, the, the CPD stuff, John was really happy about and there was one that was just kind of sitting there looming who gets behavior um, and i guess both of us were a little bit reluctant just because there's so much kind of silly heated debate particularly on twitter about it it's like, i don't really want to walk into this arena now and be be attacked from one side or the other but i'm really really glad that i lost the argument and i wrote it because it genuinely gave me a chance to reflect and that idea about where i talk about if if you're in your school, a teacher is not is not as comfortable saying I'm struggling with this group with their behaviour as they are about saying I'm struggling with teaching this concept. Then we're not there. Um, and where that came from, where my thinking around that developed from, was the the EEF guidance report on behaviour, the six recommendations in there. I think it's a really really powerful report because it talks in there about a coaching culture around behavior. And you can only have a coaching culture around behavior if you've got a culture where people can talk openly about it. But it's the biggest, you know, as teachers, it's the thing that cuts to the heart of us the most, isn't it? I can still remember as a trainee teacher, the first kind of two or three lessons that I taught when I went as an NQT in a new school. When I came to, to South Hunsey as deputy head, I wasn't worried about being a deputy. But I was nervous about my first lessons. Yeah. And I do it with year nine when they don't know who I am. They don't care that I'm the deputy head. And the bit that you're most worried about is not, you know, will will I be pedagogically perfect? The bit that you worry about is will the kids, when I tell them to be quiet and listen, will they be quiet and listen? Um, because we feel like failures if if we have a, an issue around behavior. And it works the same for, for school leaders. Again, it's saying in the book, the best way of triggering me when I was ahead was to, you know, march you know, on a Wednesday afternoon and go, oh, behaviour's been a bit bouncy the last couple of weeks, hasn't it? Because what I heard was, you're a failure as a head. School's gone to pot and it's all your fault. Um, 
so <laughs> it's a really huge barrier i think that we have to get over um and it starts with the head it's and the pastoral deputy you know because we've we've done that job the head of your job you wear it as a badge of honor that 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 behavior is good we have to be open and we have to keep checking so on a on a classroom level on a teacher level it's about leaders setting a culture where it's okay to say this bit's working and this bit's not and then the other two bits that leaders have to do is they have to do as much of the heavy lifting as they can because good leaders remove barriers and things like you know teachers setting their own detentions um you know not being visible around the school people feeling like they're in silos they're, they're the things that drive people out um and then the final bit of it um and again i love the bit in the ef guidance report recommendation five recommendation six um are just great because it sent a load of people into a spin you know the <laughs> uh, the binary debaters on twitter you know i'm this and i'm that um, because recommendation five talks about the fact that for some young people, um, they need us to, to personalize the provision. Um, and then recommendation six says you've got to have consistency. Um, so some, you know, got on to jumped on number five and went, we should personalize everything. Some jumped onto six and said, you know, we should just be consistent. And actually it's like everything in schools, it's, it's nuanced. Um, and we shouldn't be scared of nuance. And we know that for 95% of kids, consistency, consistency, consistency. But we also know there's a small group of young people who, if that's the approach that we take all the time, they will fail. We will set them up to fail. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm reminded when I was head of year at, at Huntington, and there was a lad in my year group, and he's what you would have called back then, you know, just a naughty lad. Um, he was always in trouble. He was always on report. And he came to, to me for a report and he'd done quite badly. And I started, you know, telling him, you know, how dreadful it was. His behavior was awful and the And he started grinning at me. Um, and then I started the old, how dare you come into my office and grin at me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and sent him out and he got double punishment and all the rest of it. What I soon discovered is that his, his grin was a reflex when he was scared. Um, and it came from the fact that to please his dad at home he'd smile when he was in trouble um or if you thought he was going to get into trouble and we had to say to staff look if this lad starts smiling at you if you're telling him off then fine to tell him off but don't tell him off for smiling um now some people would say but if he's seen to be grinning at the the, the head teacher when they're being told off and some kids walk down the corridor and see that well they all start smiling when they get told off when they all start laughing no they won't <laughs> You know, it's like it's like when, when people say, "Look at me when I'm talking to yeah. you," isn't it? And a yeah. lot of children yeah. find yeah. it so difficult to make yeah. eye contact, yeah. especially ones who've got really low self-esteem, and yeah. they're often the ones right. who yeah. cause yeah. us difficulties in terms of behaviour. It's interesting that those those last two, isn't it? Because they seem to contradict each other, mm -hmm. and it's hard in schools. <clears throat> when you're aiming for consistency and some members of staff will like you're saying it's binary this is mm. what you want me to do so i will apply that in every single situation in exactly the mm. same way mm. so as leaders how do we support those colleagues who see things in that binary way and want to apply the rules consistently and don't give any leeway before we find out the answer to that question, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about our partner, headteacherchat.com. Headteacherchat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of headteacherchat is to support headteachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first school leader planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about.
Now let's find out what we can do to support staff in our schools to encourage positive behaviour. It's, it's, it's such a good question. It's got to be about, <laughs> When um, you say good question, do you mean really hard to answer question? Yeah, I, no I always have a question when I need a bit of thinking time. <laughs> like in an interview, and you go, let me take the second part first, and then what you're really doing is you go, answer. Um, yeah. I think it's, a, it's got to be about that honest conversation, I think. Um, the again going back to the five and six so it's not they don't i don't think i've got a copy on my desk so i can't use the proper uh, the terminology that's used but i i kind of call it you know personalization and consistency let's call it that for argument's sake every school i've ever been in i have a, a copy here and it's oh, do you? use well, targeted approaches to meet the well, needs of individuals in your school thank you. your, yeah targeted approaches versus consistency let's let's that's better so thank you for that yeah um so the every school i've ever been in even if they call themselves you know warm strict or zero tolerance or even if they call themselves you know whatever the opposite end of the spectrum is all of them have elements of consistency and all of them have elements of targeted approach um the school has to kind of explicitly set where that is um and not by going oh you know we're 90 10 or we're 80 20 but it's that kind of idea you know that we are highly consistent but there are elements of targeted individual approaches um i think the where where colleagues and this can be you know right up to head teacher or governor level where colleagues are obsessed with consistency 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 it's because they have a belief that if you let anything go at all that it's the thin end of the wedge the floodgates open and then next thing you've got chaos and anarchy um, so you take that bit on first of all, <laughs> and go. That's that's you know, that's that's just silly. Um, if a load of kids are walking down the corridor and you happen to miss one with the top one done undone when it shouldn't be, it's not the end of the world. You know, kids will push back on things. Um, you know, my daughter is one of those. She's in year ten. She's one of those kids who just you know goes into school, works hard, gets on never had a detention um and then told me that she's she's got a second piercing in her in the top of her ear and it's not meant to be there um and whenever they do a uniform check and they have to lift their long hair up to show their earrings she lifts it so far and and they and hides the top one you know and i'm like good good on you because you're a teenager <laughs> and if that's your idea of being naughty then that's fine with me um so there there isn't you have to be consistent, but it's not about floodgates opening. It's not about losing control. And actually, the best kind of control of a school comes from really strong, transparent, open, intelligent leadership. And having those conversations is, you know, is absolutely crucially important. So you say to that member of staff, look, I'm always going to back you publicly. I'm never going to undermine you publicly. But if you're out of order, and if you've, you know, if I'm saying to you or you've got, um, you know, a, a, a one page A4 sheet on this kid that says that they need this particular personalized exception and you don't do it because you don't believe in it, then we're going to have a difficult conversation in private because that's our expectation. I'm not going to humiliate you publicly. I'm not going to undermine you in front of people, but we are going to have an honest conversation about that. But it's not going to be a conversation where I say, you know, you're dreadful if you do it again, you're sacked. It's going to be a conversation where I say the reason that we do this is because and these are the consequences and I do expect you now to do it. And it's just that, you know, again, it's it's treating them as an adult, um, but not dropping what's important. And ultimately, if you've, you know, if you've got a culture in a school and somebody has been given chance after chance after chance and they just don't want to be part of it, then ultimately there's other places they can go. <laughs> Um, yeah. but you've got to take your time before you get there. I think that's a really difficult thing as a leader, isn't it? it, it having the courage to go and have that conversation mm. with someone where you put your cards on the table and have an open discussion with them about something and you're able to come from a position of, I suppose, your own values and being able to have those mm. conversations. And sadly, I think it's something that's really lacking in a lot of the leadership training that, that mm. senior leaders um, have access to. We don't 
we don't get training in those types of conversations, do we? How do no. you go about that with your leaders and, and, and working with them so that they're able to, to, to have that openness and honesty with the, with the staff they're working with? We, what we do is we've, we've got our own leadership standards and framework that we wrote. Um, and it's, they're based, we call them the ethical leadership standards. And some of it was based on the work that the, the NGA and ASCO did. Um, and work that we've done and 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 what it does is it it sets expectations around leaders behavior um and you know it's it, one of the things that we say and i think this is really powerful is that it's it's the role of the leader to reduce anxiety in the organization because too many leaders that i've worked with and i'm sure i've done it myself adds to anxiety in the organization so it's the old i always use the grumpy deputy example you know who's great at their job in many, many ways, but when they're in a bad mood, the whole school's scared of them. And what heads have tended to do in the past is kind of forgive it and turn a blind eye. But actually, if there's a consequence of that, people become too anxious to do their jobs. If there's a consequence of that, you start losing staff, then that deputy either needs to change how they behave or they need to go elsewhere. But you can't, you can't leave that to chance and you can't leave it to different people's interpretation. Because if you just say, you know, I want you to lead ethically, and different people will have different takes on that. So we took a long time, and it, we described the behaviours we expect. So what that then allows us to do is where you have somebody who's falling short or standing outside those, you've got a framework to go back to. Um, and our um, leaders' performance development um, is evidence-based, but we also have a review around the ethical leadership framework so we have a conversation they do a kind of traffic lighting exercise this is where i'm most confident and comfortable right. the, the areas i find most difficult um we've just completed a round of it um but last week i think was the last one and it's the best uh, performance development conversations i've ever done with a group of leaders um it's very non-onerous because they have it on an a4 sheet and they just highlight it um and then we have the discussion the conversation but that's been really really powerful because when you have those conversations the leader who's not leading ethically has got nowhere to go <laughs> because it's there in black and white um you know so if for example um you know if you know kindness and honesty is in there um you say well actually we've just done something that's fundamentally dishonest um that's not a anymore just uh, oh please don't do that again that's a you've fallen significantly short of our leadership standards <laughs> how are you going to make sure that that doesn't happen again and if it keeps happening then we've then we've got a problem so that framework has been really really important to us it requires quite a lot of self-awareness that doesn't it as yeah, a leader it does, it do, does you, yeah. do you work on that aspect with with you it sounds like you have the sort of coaching conversations yeah. which which help the leaders to evaluate where they're up to in terms of those yeah. standards. It is for, for the vast majority of them. It is a you know it is a coaching conversation, um, and that I mean you'll know, but that can work different ways. So I've had, um, you know, one of the one of the parts of the of the leadership framework talks about kind of um, horizon scanning, research thinking, you know, kind of thinking ahead, and about. 80% of my leaders, this is my heads group and my senior trust group, all put that down as red. Um, and I had these fascinating conversations, you know, one who I see as probably the sharpest strategic mind in the group. And I'm like, I'd have given that a green, you're giving it a red. And then we had a great conversation about it. Um, and what came out of it, and I don't think that this would have ever come out in a different, if we hadn't had this format and this approach to doing it, was A, there was a big element of COVID. So they were just feeling absolutely buried, yeah. everything operational. I'm not getting anywhere near strategy. So we did kind of, all right, can you remember what it was like before February? <laughs> and when you go back, oh yeah, maybe I was a little bit better at that. But also what came out is that this, this particular, they're one of my heads, is that they, one of their massive strengths is that they assimilate information really, really quickly. So they'll look at something, they'll pick something up off Twitter, the, you know, the DFE will send in a, an update, something will come out from Ofqual, they'll scan it, it'll take them about 15 minutes to do. They'll pull out the main points and they'll go, there's the main points and they're done. 
they don't have in their, they didn't have in their mind that that's reading and research because they thought that what reading and research is is sitting in a leather armchair by a fire and reading wise leadership books like putting staff first from cover to cover <laughs> you know and not not having the, the entire john cap catalog um so when we, when we talked about do you remember before covid and do you recognize that horizon scanning and research isn't just reading books cover to cover it's actually doing what you do <laughs> um then they said well actually that no that is so that that process allowed them to become you know to reflect on it and they said well actually no maybe i am they didn't quite give themselves a green they're like well, maybe i'm, I'm the <laughs> and i'm like no you're darkest of dark green actually um so that's a kind of coaching approach i guess but it's giving a sort of framework for that i mean the other thing we do we you know we have um we've made available to all of our um senior team um external coaches if they want them so some opt into that i have a coach um and i think that that is about changing the perception of coaching because one of the one of the things that's quite toxic in the system is that we wrongly called you know somebody was underperforming we said oh you're going to go into a coaching cycle and it's like yeah. no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> you know, we talk a lot about coaching high performance yeah. um because they do you know they're diff completely different things aren't i think they? This, so, this is this is the thing that that i struggle with a little bit is that one of the things that i do when i train coaches is is specifically look at the difference between coaching and mentoring and teaching mm. and counseling mm. because they're all very different and when you're dealing with a, a member of staff who's underperforming you have to teach them and mentor them it's, it's yeah. not it's not yeah. coaching at all but it has yeah. coaching has been used as a bit of a catch-all term yeah. Yeah. for any sort of development work with people and it, mm. it's it, it's almost as though the mentoring and, and coaching are used interchangeably yeah and I'm, I'm way off great at this but you know one of the things that i have i've learned and been taught is about that kind of being explicit so if you're having a, co a conversation that's a kind of coaching conversation and you get to a point where it's not really working you, you know it's like well, well let's let's switch now and let's take more of a, a mentoring approach you know yeah but you want me to tell you what i think you should do don't you and it's like yeah it's like well i will do but that's not a coaching conversation that's a different thing um and i can remember when actually it's quite entertaining when i back at Huntington and we did, we first, again, John's kind of introduced us and we brought a, a great organization in and they trained us up on um, a particular approach to coaching. It was really quite powerful, but it went around the school that it was this kind of form of witchcraft. Um, <laughs> and that if you got taken and you had a coaching conversation, by the end of it, you'd have been kind of hypnotized and you'd be going out doing. And I can remember it was a training day and we'd had, we'd had a training day on the Monday and then we had a training day on the Tuesday. And on the Monday, we'd done this session and there was a, a colleague of mine who'd said something really brilliantly insightful about how many young people come into school on a morning and leave on an evening and no member of staff has said a single positive thing to them. And then does it go through a week? Does it go through a term? And she, she kind of said, you know, what if we said that in every lesson you make sure that you at some point you know explicitly engage with every single kid and you know even if it's just a higher how you doing which sounds really ridiculous and low-key but actually when you looked at how many kids are going through schools and no adult says something positive to them and probably at home they never do so john said oh i really want that this colleague to stand up in front of the um of the staff this morning and share that with them because i think it's really powerful and, and I knew her really well, she's a mate of mine, and I was like, no way in the world will she stand in front of the staff, it's her worst nightmare. And he was like, oh, can you just go and get her and ask her to come and have a chat with me? So I went to see her and I said, oh, uh, John wants to speak to him. She's like, why? And I explained what it was. And she, she can't refuse to go and see the head. And then she just went, oh God, he's not going to coach me, is he? Because <laughs> <laughs> she knew by the end of the conversation, she'd go, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And sure enough, she stood up in front of the whole staff and she, shared this this idea um and it was really powerful but yeah so this kind of idea that coaching and witchcraft were kind of the same thing but um but anyway getting back to the serious point i think the we're not there yet um but we're getting there um and you know ideally you want to get to the point where everybody is confident as a coach in the organization because so much of what we do will be more powerful 
if it was more our commonplace approach. I think a, a coaching leadership style fits really nicely into ethical leadership, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, that sort of non-judgmental approach. In terms of ethical leadership, um, I read your blog. Uh, uh, I, th- I think it's really great. But my concern is that some schools will try. It seems like it's like it's like the f- I don't want to call it a fad because it's not a fad, mm-hmm. but things very quickly become fads and people yeah. grab onto them. I think that's what you were saying in your blog, wasn't it? That people go, I like it. Mm. What is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah. they go, everybody else is doing it. Sounds good. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. do it before they even know what it is. Mm-hmm. And this idea of ethical leadership or values-led leadership, mm-hmm. I, my concern is that it becomes some sort of tick box exercise mm-hmm. or they think they should be doing it, but they're doing it without the substance and the belief to back yeah. it up. So how do you think we can address that? Um, I think part of it is, you know, it is writing about it. Um, it is having this is why we developed the framework because we wanted to articulate and define what we mean by it so that we can live by it um and it is interesting again it's you know i think i say in that blog i've never met anybody who's ever said oh i'm an unethical leader everybody would (laughs) say that they're that they are ethical um but my word we've all seen a lot of unethical stuff in schools um so i think i think um defining it really clearly. And then I think you've got, and this this bit's quite difficult because I'm not into the kind, I'm not into naming and shaming and all of the rest of it, but we have to speak out ultimately if we're seeing things that are just wrong. Um, you know, we, we have to speak out about it. You can't say, oh, well, I'm gonna be unethical, but I'm gonna turn, turn I'm gonna be ethical, but I'm gonna turn a blind eye to stuff. Um, so I think it's in, in that blog and it's in the book, you know, we, we, we talk about the system because I think it goes way beyond, you know, the ASCO and NGA stuff is great and it's about ethical leadership in a school. I'm really, really interested in the concept of ethical system leadership. You know, we talk about system leaders and, you know, NLEs and RST, I'm an NLE, I think still, um, but the you cannot be a system leader for me if you don't care as much about the school down the road as you do about your own and if you don't care about the young people in that school as much as you do in your own um because for me what's happened in the system is we've incentivized unethical behavior so because of accountability and because of the way Ofsted used to work and i think there's some hope in the new framework it's not perfect but they are certainly trying to push out some of this stuff out um because of the rewards that were given to trusts in the early days for expanding really quickly because of the fact that we had you know seemingly unlimited um executive pay going on and all of those kind of you know freedoms in inverted commas that were given um but the problem for me in all of that is it's too easy just to blame Ofsted and just to blame the dfe um and i'm quite happy to blame the dfe for a hell of a lot right now but the dfe don't make school leaders choose to off-roll and they don't make school leaders choose to enter an entire cohort for BTEC sport or whatever by taking them off timetable for a week to boost league tables and all of that stuff and yeah. you know um an elective home education that isn't elective unofficial exclusion all of that stuff are choices that school leaders make and some of them make them under intense pressure and fear but some of them do it because they're pursuing um you know ever greater stuff and positions in league tables and knighthoods and daybuds and all the rest of it so in the in the book um we kind of lay out a framework for you know nobody wants to have an underperforming school or an underperforming trust but there's two ways of having high performing and one is that kind of old um you know focus on um on results not performance um you know the be all and end all and people use excuses you know they say well you know i hear people say well i you know i go into the toughest areas of the country and i'm i'm doing this and i'm giving life chances to the kids well you are to the 80 percent who've made it through but what about the 20 percent that you've slung out um so for me what i hope we, we can do is define what an ethical school system will look like 
And that is fundamentally saying, I'm not going to do things that will advantage my school in the league tables and, and but they aren't right for my kids that then by, by definition disadvantage the school down the road. The problem that we've got, and you know, I'll do a talk where it's I've just got a big elephant, it's the elephant in the room, which is we live in a zero sum system that really like progress eight and Pro progress eight just is, is what yeah I mean, and it's, you, you know, if you're going to do better someone has to do yeah, the work exactly, yeah and we've said for years it's like you know i do loads of school school support and i love doing it but it's fundamentally irrational because if i help the school down the road improve it makes it harder in my school um that that needs to be addressed because until that's addressed we will always have unethical practice yeah but until it is addressed, hopefully one day, that doesn't get school leaders off the hook because school leaders make choices and school leaders can choose to, you know, and what we've demonstrated in our trust. And, you know, when I do talks, I do make the point that 100% of our students go to good and outstanding schools and that our skit is outstanding. I don't say that for, for, for the glory. We don't have Ofsted banners. I say it only because it exemplifies the fact that you can lead in this way and still have successful schools. Because I did a talk a couple of years ago at Sheffield, at Sheffield Hallam, um, at their really lovely festival of education, and I came out of it, um, and I basically then got surrounded by three or four um, CEOs and head teachers who didn't agree with what I'd said, um, and were saying things like, oh, it's all very well saying you got rid of performance management, and you've got rid of performance-related pay, Johnny, but..." How do I get rid of my crap staff if I don't have performance-related pay? Um, now, and basically, the implication of it was: it's all very well being nice to people, but you'll end up your schools will be rubbish. Um, and what we're trying to demonstrate is that by being ethical and humane, that's not being soft, and that's not setting low standards. You can set very low high standards, but you can sleep at night. I think it comes back to that idea before that I said about challenge and support, doesn't it? You, you can you can base your leadership on kindness. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you can't achieve what you want to achieve. Just going back to something you said there, I was thinking about how, you know, we've come from, what, I don't know what it was like where you started to teach, but I remember my first GCSE class and the head of department said to me, uh, yeah, they're set three out of four. Should Most of them should get A to C. And other than yeah. that, there was nothing yeah. else. We've, we've come yeah. so far, far from that now. We've gone so mm. far down that road that mm. so many leaders focus purely on outcomes yeah. and not processes. Because yeah. for me, it's about how you get to that point. If, you, if your processes and the way that you work towards something, if they're effective and they work and you embed them, then you mm. get the outcomes as a result of that anyway. Mm -hmm. there the needs to be more focus on the day-to-day -day what's going on yeah. like in, in terms of providing mm -hmm. the development and the cpd for staff making sure you've got a great teacher in every classroom because if you do that you will get the outcomes you don't yeah. have to worry about ofsted coming in because yeah. if you're doing what you should be doing and you're doing it well then mm -hmm. ofsted will see that and and you will get yeah. a good that, outcome that, as a result yeah absolutely right and that's kind of what you know the the blueprint argues which is you know do do the right things set those high standards remove any barriers that you can find to high performance in the classroom and if you do those things and you support staff and you get your behavior right then results will follow and we have to believe that you know focus on performance and have a culture of quality improvement we we taught we've always you know we used to talk about monitoring evaluation and then we turned it into quality assurance but actually that's not enough it's it's quality improvement and that's the kind of the deming the toyota model of everything that you're doing constantly how might we do that better or are we doing something that doesn't have any impact whatsoever in which case we stop doing it one of the most refreshing things that we've done in the last couple of years when we we're developing our our workload charters we just had two terms of abandonment and we said right we're not having any new initiatives we're not introducing anything else we're just going to stop doing stuff and I went round the, all the schools, um, did like two rounds of meetings with any staff who wanted to come. And the conversation was basically just what, what's great about working here? Um, what gets in the way of doing your job slash what does your nutting? And anything that you put into that second group, I'm going to go away and we're going to look at it. 
if I then can't come back and say the reason we do this is because it improves this area of the operation in this way, if I can't tell you that, then we won't do it anymore. Um, and it was so refreshing. And again, we're not there yet. You gotta be really, you know, you've got to be careful because stuff sneaks into schools on yeah. unknown. Um, I want to give you an example because the school that I'd been the head at for four years and I was meeting the staff there and they said, oh, you know, I said um, um, the, the attitude to learning grades, because there used to be when you did reports, there were five attitude to learning grades, mm. you know, and it was like, and there were four different, five different things that you could give and it was just a nightmare. So I said, right, let's, let's just go to two. So it's basically, how are they in class? Do they work at home? Um, and that was it. And I was talking about attitude to learning grades and they said, oh yeah, you know, we still got these five. And I was like, what do you mean we've got these five? We, uh, I, got rid of, I got rid of it down to two, you know, two years ago, I remember doing it. And they went, no, we only ever did that in key stage three, Johnny, we never did it in key stage four. And I was like, when I was head, <laughs> <laughs> I completely missed it. Um, and stuff happens in schools that you miss. You think you've done things and you haven't. Um, or the other thing, again, I think, think we talked about in the book is that there are systems and processes in schools that are so old hat. So something gets introduced and then we find a better way of doing it. So we introduce a new version and then we introduce another new version, but we forget to take the old ones out. And again, I'll go back to performance management again, I'm afraid, but that's a great example because we introduced PM in about 98, 99 and somebody said three targets and nobody ever questioned it, as he said earlier. Um, and you had the one-off lesson observation and that was it. You know, the only time anybody ever came in my, my class when I was first teaching was either to borrow books, um, to ask me if I wanted to do the McDonald's run on a lunchtime or to do the one-off lesson observation. And that was it. Um, but then we replaced that with all the better QA stuff, you know, the, the learning walks, the, 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 the drop-ins, the talking to kids, the talking to staff, the looking at books, all of that, which gave us a much richer picture of what was going on. But we forgot to get rid of the one-off lesson observation. We didn't need it anymore but it had just kind of lingered and that happens a lot in schools. So it's about having that, you know, that, that proper quality improvement culture where it's just a constant, why do we do that? Or we're doing that, but we could do it better. And you go back to the, you know, the Toyota production line where anybody on the production line can stop it. It's about talking to your staff as well, isn't it? And what, one of the things that um, someone on one of the podcasts, I couldn't tell you exactly who it was now, said is, I think it was Hannah Wilson, actually. I think mm. she said it's about listening to your staff mm. and not, not being offended by what they say, not taking offence mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. actually doing something about it. And Jill, yeah. um, Jill also said um, when she went into her school as head, she spoke to every single member of staff and mm. a few of them said, I've never even been in the head's office. I've never had a conversation with the head before. But it's about communication, isn't it? It's a, it's about talking to your staff and finding out what works mm. and what doesn't. And that mm. answers the question that when I was asking the question about behaviour and the, reason, the reasons that staff leave, the second part of that question was about workload and, and reducing workload. And I think you've, you've answered that question um, really succinctly there I think that's a, a really good way of doing things it's about asking whether there'll be an impact of what you're doing as well isn't it mm -hmm. we're, we're introducing this what will be the impact on on the staff and on the on the students yeah yeah and it not being you know it not being a kind of tick boxing like you say you know Ofsted now ask about workload and they ask about well-being but like you say you know there's still lots of places where it's the it's the add-on um you know, there's a bit about, you know, I, I know of a couple of trusts where they say, well, you know, the old 1265 hours and they're like, well, we only do 1230. It's amazing. We give 35 hours back to our staff. We don't direct them right up to 1265. But in that same trust, they have members of SLT going in and out of lessons with clipboards, um, you know, ticking off. Have you done 18 of the 25 expectations? And if you haven't, they come back in again. And it's like, well, you can do anything you want on workload reduction, but if the culture is a culture of fear um, and, a, and, a, and a, a, a culture of surveillance, then workload's pointless. Yeah, we, <laughs> it's about trying to reduce anxiety, isn't it? Yes. I think that there's, um, I, can't, I can't remember who the quote's by now about um, schools in which, you know, it's low anxiety and, and high, yeah. what's the other thing? I, right, the name, I think on it. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and I think that's that's a good point, a good place to 
to leave it really because I think we could talk about it all day, couldn't we? We could, <laughs> we could try and, and solve all the issues. But it is a, it's about understanding your staff and the impact of, of what, mm. you, what you do on them. I remember a, a deputy once saying to me, um, everything I do is in the interest of the kids. And, and that was his way of justifying the things that he, he was expecting of staff or imposing on staff. And for me, I think what you do is the other way around. It's about the staff first, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. And it's about the only way to get great outcomes for your people is to look after your staff because, you know, it doesn't matter whether they've got iPads or whether they've got a new science building or they've, you know, they're doing Kagan or, what, you know, whatever it is. The thing that makes a difference is the quality teacher in front of them. Um, and too much of what we've done is we've seen them as, as expendable. You know, the, the, the kind of final example I'll give is on, you know, on year 11 GCSE results day, when it's face to face again, when we're there celebrating with our year 11 kids, if the cost of them getting great results is that the children of our members of staff haven't seen mum or dad on a Sunday for the whole last year, then it's not a price worth paying because our moral commitment has to be to all young people, not just the young people in our schools. And I think that's the kind of fundamental difference here between ethical system leadership and sustainable school improvement and all of the quick fix stuff, which is is actually so damaging. Thank you so much for coming and joining me. I, I really appreciate it. I am absolutely 100% certain that there are loads of things that people can take from that. So I, I do really appreciate it. If people want to um, find out a bit more about you or they want to they want to see some of the work that you've done, where can they find you? Um, I've got my Twitter, uh, at Johnny Utley. Um, I do, as you say, write a blog, but I think I've only got two on there. I need to do some more writing. Um, I can't even remember what it's called. Is it called Trust Leadership or something like that? Yes, Trust Leadership, um, yeah. Trust Leadership, thank you. I need to write some more stuff on there. Um, but a lot of the stuff we've done, you know, around um, ethical leadership and workload and stuff is also on our Trust website. We just upload everything onto there. So that's the Education Alliance.org.uk. Um, so there's quite a lot of stuff on there. Um, and I'm always happy for people to, you know, to contact as you know i take a little bit of time to get back to you but i'll get there eventually <laughs> it's okay you're busy i, I understand um, and it's been it's been well worth the wait anyway so i saw a thanks. great thing the day about they have somebody said they have two two speeds of replying to email 27 seconds and three weeks <laughs> yeah. i think, I think that that sums it up doesn't it yeah it does exactly thanks so much johnny it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure take care cheers Wow, what a guy. I absolutely loved that interview. There are so many takeaways from this episode. I did tell you at the start that it was a long one, but I am certain that there is so much for you to take away. I don't know where to start summing that up. Um, So I'm just going to say it was great to talk to Johnny because he's so down to earth and pragmatic. he's actually another head that I would have loved to work for along with all the other heads that I've interviewed on the show so far. Whatever you do take from today's interview, I'm sure that it's going to help you to make a difference in your school and make a difference to your staff. Johnny is principled. This is what I love about him. He He leads from his values and his beliefs and he truly believes in ethical leadership. He's authentic and he's got integrity and he leads humanely. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't have the highest standards for all of his staff. In actual fact, it's quite the opposite. I mean, he really does. He believes in challenging his staff to be the best that they can be, but he supports them to do that. He allows them to do that in a supportive environment where they feel respected, where they feel trusted, where they feel like they are professionals undertaking an intellectual job. And that's the key thing. It's about creating that environment for your staff in which they feel like 
they have the autonomy and they are striving for mastery of their subject and their art and that's the key thing that comes out of this interview for me and the outcomes that he achieves are testament to the fact that leading humanely works and it's the way forward so i really hope that you can prioritize especially now more than ever leading with kindness and that's it for today's episode i am really excited to tell you that i have just interviewed andy book so look out for that episode coming up because that's a brilliant one Um, And I just wanted to add a caveat because it turns out that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not quite as bad a manager as we thought because Manchester United went top of the league last night. So what do I know about football? Anyway, thanks for listening. Take care of yourself. Take care of your staff and lead well. This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance.